Hi there. Welcome to Big Jim's Garage. I'm your host, Big Jim O'Brien. Hit me up on Twitter, at WCSX Jim. We're taping this here in the Motor City. We're talking indie this week. You gotta. Bud Danker will join us. Who's Bud Danker? He's the president of Penske Corporation. And obviously with Penske now running IndyCar and owning IMS. His insight, I've got to know him over the years here in the Motor City as well, um, with the Detroit Grand Prix. One of the best minds in racing and just a great guy. So we're going to talk a little bit what's gone into the track changes, and I'm sure we'll get some info. Then after that, Lee Diffie will join us doing the play-by-play on Sunday. Indy, the Indy 500, I know it's a weird year, and it is strange to have it, but I don't know, man. It's still the Indy 500. It still feels like the Indy 500. It's got that same vibe. Watching Marco Andretti take the pole, watching the, everyone cheering for him, the battle between Honda and and, and Chevy and to see where Penske's at and, and the other race teams as they come up here, Chip Ganassi and that, and the young drivers, these guys do not care. They've come up through the series. They know what they're doing when they get there. They are not in the just-happy-to-be-here category. These rookies this year want to win this race. That's why they're going, which I know you're thinking, well, that's stupid. You always want to win the race. I'm telling you, in the past, we've seen drivers who have kind of laid out. So we're going to start off this podcast here. Bud Denker, the president of Penske Corporation, Let's go ahead and grab him here. A lot going on in this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, Bud Denker, the president of Penske Corporation. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Jim. It's great to talk to you. I'm doing I'm doing well and uh, looking forward to heading to Indy here in a couple days. Wow. The tra- uh, it's it's you know, it's it's such a mixed bag for you guys. I mean, uh to see the track and to see the racing already, the qualifying and the vibe is is amazing. And to not be able to show it off to the media and to show it off to fans first and foremost. It's like putting a new coat of paint on your house and nobody can come over to see it. No, it's a good analogy, and you're right. It's the, the place looks absolutely reestablished. Um, it's just amazing what it looks like, the attention to detail that Roger Penske has, the passion he has for that facility, iconic 100-year-old-plus facility. It looks brand new. It's sparkling, and... We're going to have an amazing show. The only thing that we're missing are the fans and the media and our partners, our sponsors. But, hey, it's one of those years, and the show must go on, and we're going to have an amazing show this Sunday. Well, absolutely. And, and But I, I was curious, but I was thinking when, when we found out you were going to be on, that one of the things that I is tricky, I would imagine, is not as easy as people imagine. Um, excuse me, saying imagine twice. Um, you want to rejuvenate a place like Indy without losing that it that it has that 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 history that the DNA of 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 IMS that had to be tricky for you guys well there's a balance isn't there yeah it's when you have this iconic facility that's one of the greatest sports facilities in the world if not the best um, you gotta respect its history and nobody understands that better than than Roger and everything we've done, remember, we bought this place just in January, in January 6th. And in that short period of time, we've invested over $15 million, all focused on the customer experience. And everything we do is looked at from the lens of the customer and the fan. And, and those include looking at over 200-plus restrooms <laughs> that we have walked, we have visited with painted new LED lighting fixtures, we've concession stands, 30 new electronic LED boards so the customer and the fan can see what's going on no matter where they are. 
a victory lane platform with a 9,000 pound lift to elevate the winning car and team to a platform that the entire place can see and enjoy. These are all things the customers focused on and all things that this great institution can have without losing the identity and the iconic nature of the facility. Well, and we've been spoiled by, you know, what what you and Roger and, and Penske have done here with the Detroit Grand Prix to make it a destination race. I mean, you know, uh, obviously you're planning next year to get get back. How do you approach right now planning, uh, moving beyond Indy? When you think about, selfishly here in Detroit, um, how do you think about, excuse me, how do you think about the Grand Prix next year? Do you plan based on we're going to have a, a vaccine or do you, how, how do you map this out for next year? Well, the unknowns are just that, so many unknowns. But you have to plan your life, you have to plan your business, and you have to plan the events to assume that you're going to have these next year. I mean, to assume otherwise is probably the wrong course and the wrong plan because we can adapt from there. Plan you have it, get the date scheduled, get the, get the things scheduled and organized with your partners, the, the state of Michigan and others, and then adapt from there. So we still are planning to have the race next year following the Indy 500. It'll be the only dual event next year in the calendar, even though we've had several this year because of the pandemic. And um, we'll go from there. But, no, we're in the planning stages already. We're going to announce the IndyCar schedule for 2021 here shortly, probably in a month or so, because now that we own the series, we have ownership of that. And uh, Detroit's a very important um, date on our calendar, and we plan to be here first part of June next year. And we'll put on an amazing event, the best ever, because our fans want it. There's pent-up demand, and we can't wait to be back here on Belle Isle. Now, there is one thing I'd like to bring back to Indy, and it's not safe and it would never happen, but uh, is it 82, I still love watching Gordon Johncock's final pit stop at 190 miles an hour. <laughs> remember him and Mears when they were having that duel, and oh, I remember yeah. watching that. When he came into pit lane, you're like, he's going to break any time. And I asked Mario Andretti, and Andretti said they practiced sliding the car at full speed so they could get into their box. Those days, that, <laughs> that piece, I can tell you, those uh, those iconic nature are probably not going to happen next year. <laughs> uh, we're, we're not going to have 200-mile-an-hour pit stops anywhere? <laughs> no, we'll respect, the, we'll, we'll respect the integrity of the track, but also the safety for our workers as well. And uh, But looking forward this weekend, we were down this past weekend for qualifying, and what an exciting, exciting qualifying. The Hondas, obviously, were quite fast, and... The Chevys will be great in race trim. We know they will be. But um, how, how great is it to have an Andretti back on the pole again? For 33 years, and Andretti's back on the pole for the Indy 500. Well, and to see the reaction from from Joseph and Elio and, and, and Will, the, their reaction when they saw him get the pole, that, that says so much. And Marco's had he's had his, his issues in, you know with some other drivers and stuff. But at the end of the day, you're absolutely right, bud. It's an Andretti on the pole, and people are rooting for him. Um, these drivers, the more you get to know them, especially at Indy, it feels to me like any, any Indy car race, you're driving on, you're, you're driving on the edge that we talk about, but at Indy, you can't make a single mistake. If you make a mistake, you're done. You're done. You know, it's so unforgiving. And I am startled that the, that these men can do this for 500 miles. You know, Jim, it's a good point because I went down this week, I went to all different points of the racetrack, places I never get to go because being a competitor, 
and now being, you know, the owners of this of this of the track, I went to places I've never been to, including the short shoot between three and four. I was three feet from the racetrack when twenty cars went by me at two hundred and thirty miles an hour. You can't imagine the speed you can't turn your neck fast enough to have them go by you. And to think that there's a human being in that vehicle with the guts and the skill level to be able to do that two feet apart from each other with no room for air is just an amazing skill. The TV doesn't give it enough justice, as you know, when you're down there that close to seeing the skill of these great drivers. So it was amazing. It was breathtaking. And um, we look for a great show on Sunday. And the the duality of your guys' role, obviously with Penske now, uh, you know, heading up a IndyCar. Um, what's so much fun to me is the fact these young drivers, they respect yeah. Indy so much, but they're not afraid of it, and they're not afraid of the other drivers. I always felt like, and, and I'm not bashing the younger drivers. There was a period, especially in NASCAR, when a young driver would come up, it was almost like they didn't want to beat their 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 heroes. They were just happy to be there. These IndyCar kids. They don't care. They're there to kick somebody's butt. You can see it. Tell you what, we have some of the most amazing rookies I've ever seen in the Indy 500 this year in our cities. Pato Award and VK and all these drivers that have come through the system, the ladder system of IndyCar, working their way to the Indy 500. Now they're here for the first time. And they are talented. They are young. They are aggressive. And as you said, they're not going to stand aside for anyone. They want to win as much as our veterans do. And it's great to see for the history and the future of our sport because we got these great veterans like Elio Castroneves, who's been here now since 2001, to a crew of guys who's their first time ever. And it's a diverse lineup of people from around the world. Um, we're excited about the veterans, but we're also excited about these, these new guys that are coming aboard. They are tough. They are competitive. They are confident. And they are ready to win. You know, in all my conversation with Simon Pagino, I think the one thing about Indy on Sunday, bud, is that um, he said that mentally the last 10 laps was the most exhausting thing he's ever done in his life. And uh, um, to, to a man, anyone I've ever asked when they win the Indy 500, they talk about it the same way. That last half hour of the race is a fan watching it. The whole race is amazing. But the end of the Indy 500, I'm hard-pressed to find a more stressful to watch sporting event, and I mean that in a good way. It is so intense. Intense is a better word. It's it's the most intense thing I've ever seen. And to know that it's going to be that way every year, to be there this Sunday, bud, is going to be amazing for you guys. It is. And and and, and so much of what's going through a driver's head is to, is to finish that race and get to the end of it. The last 50 laps, Roger always talks about, you got to be there for the last 50 laps, and you got to be up front, first five spots likely to have a chance. But to know that this event will change the rest of your life is quite a statement. And, and Simon is a perfect example of that. This guy, his life, Maurice Amp in France, his life to where he is in the U.S., has been changed forever because his face is on the Indy 500 trophy, the Borg Warner trophy, for, the, for all of time to come, for generations. And, and that pressure of finishing the race, not only winning it, is something unlike in many, many sports. And and we look forward to, to, to the event. We look forward to the pace laps. Mark Rice from General Motors, president of GM, is going to be driving the pace car, the new C8 Corvette, appropriately for us out there in front. And we're going to have back home in Indiana again. We're going to have the national anthem. We're going to have God Bless America. We're going to have an amazing flyover. 
because it all is about the respect of the institution of this track. And we need to pay it respect. We need to pay it homage. And while we can't have fans there, which is gut-wrenching for us, the show must go on. We're going to have a great show on NBC TV, and, and we can't wait. But Bud Denker, president of Penske Corporation, appreciate the time. And by the way, real quick note, Takuma Sato echoed the same thing Simon did. I interviewed Takuma one year at the Detroit Grand Prix before he won Indy. And I said, what would be bigger for you, winning Monaco or winning uh, the Indy 500? And he laughed at me. He goes, Monaco. Are you kidding? Monaco. Now, Takuma Sato, for those who don't know, raced Formula One. He wins the Indy 500. I saw him the next year at the Detroit Grand Prix. And he smiled at me. He goes, I'd like to change my answer. (laughs) The sheer scope of what's going to happen to one of these men on Sunday after this race, I really don't think they understand unless they've won. They don't understand. And anybody who's won desperately wants to get back there one more time. There's a great commercial on NBC they're showing about previous winners, and they're showing them their final lap of the Indy 500, from Rick Mears to Elio Castroneves to Dario Franchitti to Alexander Rossi, Ryan Hunter-Ray, Mario Andretti, right? Yeah. Every one of them has a tear in their eye as they're watching their last lap. That's what it means to them. It is. Bobby Unser, same thing with that grin on his face. Although I tried to show Andretti the uh, the part where Unser came out and passed eight guys under caution. He didn't want to watch that for some reason. It's weird, but I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. Well, Bud Denker, um, again, Indy this Sunday, IndyCar, the Indy 500 on NBC, going to be fantastic. I'm with you. I, I think you guys in Chevrolet, and especially Penske, you're all about the race pace. It's a long race, and you're going to be there in the end. I know that, the, the way this works out. I cannot wait to watch this. Um, enjoy it. Let's stay in touch. We're looking forward to everything. And remind everybody who's listening to this podcast here in the, the Motor City, DetroitGP.com as well. Um, Bud Denker, it's great to catching up again. You be well. Great. Thank you. And I uh, look forward to uh, having an amazing race. And, uh, well, you know, now that we own the series and the track, I can't be a favorite for anybody. But we'll see how Team Penske does. Hey, real quick. <laughs> oh, you're going to do fine. Real quick, before I let you go, with all that's going on in the world and with with with, with with you guys actually running IndyCar and the the attention that it's getting, even being shown overseas, does this make you in an ideal world effort more so to get the series over overseas for at least one race? Well, you know, it's probably not going to happen for at least a couple more years. We have so much focus on the U.S. and so much development to build our sport in the U.S. We it's not really a priority for us. We want to have date equity for what we have in North America. We have that. I think you may see a little bit of change next year's schedule. Right. Um, that'll probably please you and surprise you. But I think that for right now, we're going to focus our efforts on North America. Do you coordinate more with F1 if the Miami race is a possibility? Is that another option for you guys? But I know you've already got, you know, your, your Florida races. Would that even be an option? Always a possibility, Jim. Look at you. You tease. Bud Danker, thank you so much for the time. You be well. All right, you too. I take care. Bye-bye. Oh, we're not done talking IndyCar. Ladies and gentlemen, the man is doing play-by-play. Lee Diffie from NBC. Good morning. How are you, sir? Jim, great to be back with you. Um, it's always an honor to have you on, and this week in particular, so much going on. That qualifying was nuts. That's nuts. I, um, I, it, it's, I said to somebody the other day, that that is a highlight of my career to have been able to call an Andretti winning the pole position at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yeah. I mean, that's just... It was bananas. It was great. And, you know, the the universal adulation uh, and respect paid to Marco because of the person he is and, of course, the family legacy was just terrific to see. 
And all the drivers, the way they, you know, we always talk about, you, you hear it, Lee, and we say it, that they're on the edge. They drive on the edge. Well, of course they do. That's, you know, they've got to get whatever it is. This is more than an edge. They're driving on on the tip of a needle. The way they drive these cars at Indy is, and the mental focus, even for four laps, much less 500 miles, um, the tw- like Graham Rahal catching that car was amazing. Was amazing that he caught that car. There were so many things that happened over the, over the course of those two days, you know, in regular qualifying, and then the fast nine that just, you know, uh, that were, were exhilarating to be a part of, to call it, and then to to witness it, to be seeing it live, and then you hear somebody like Paul Tracy, who you know, he's an IndyCar champ. He almost won the five hundred. Some would argue he did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to hear him get so excited when you saw Alex Pelos, you know, on the Alex Pelos on the uh, on the telemetry, his speed hit two hundred and forty miles an hour. You know, it just it was crazy. It was such a great weekend. Is is the um, in some series in racing you, you'll see the drivers the uh, the younger drivers. It used to be the younger drivers were just happy to be there. You'd always hear the saying, you know, almost like in baseball. And but I've noticed now in motorsports this year across the board. The young drivers are not intimidated by by the older drivers. They don't want to be there. They want to win. Whether it's NASCAR, you see the the Cole Custers and Christopher Bell and these guys. They they're sticking their nose in there and watching these young guys at Indy. They have no intention of going out there and just turning laps. They're there to win that race. Yeah, you're spot on. Absolutely. I um, I think I think it's one of those beautiful things where you know the old the old adage: you don't know what you don't know. So they're just going out there to race because. You know this this young breed, this young breed. They're so aggressive and they're so determined, and um, they, they're just going for it. And it's not that they're being disrespectful to the older, more established drivers. They right. just they, they want they want it right. And then you got a guy. This, this, the storylines are amazing. You watch Scott Dixon the way he's running. He's he's as good now as he's ever been. And with that experience, yep. I wonder sometimes it does it once you've tasted the milk of the Indy Five Hundred and you won. I always tell this story. I asked Akuma Sato here at the Detroit Grand Prix a couple of years ago before he won Indy. I said, would you rather win Monaco or Indy? And he goes, he laughed at me. He's like, oh, Monaco, Monaco. He wins the next year I see him here. And he goes, I'd like to change my answer. And he started laughing. Yeah, yeah. The scope of this, do you think sometimes that makes these drivers push a little too hard because they understand what's on the other side of that checkered flag? Um, I don't know about push too hard, but it's certainly a, it's certainly a significant driving force. And, I, and to your point about realizing what what you've won and the taste of that milk, I think Alexander Rossi is a fascinating story in that regard. You know, when he came over to IndyCar from Formula One and, and won at his first go, um, you could you could almost see in the moment that you know he didn't really in that moment didn't really realize what he had won, but now. You know, four four years on, he most certainly does, and over the past four years, he certainly knows what he's won, and he desperately wants that again because, um, you know, he probably even within a year of, of winning it, he fully realised the the scope of of and the significance and the magnitude of what he did, you know, as a rookie right. uh, by winning the 100th running and and wants it so badly again, um, you know, and and. It doesn't have to be motorsport. It can be any sport, anything. When it's steeped in tradition and history, and particularly more than a century of history, um, those things mean so much. Whether it be the 
photograph on the yard of bricks after you've done your, after you've done your qualifying run. Whether it's whatever, you, you, whichever direction you turn throughout the course of an Indianapolis 500, the pre and the post, um, you know, it, it means so much. And so that's it's no no. No surprise why they're so driven, you know. And and these we're talking about the the younger generation. Um, I think it might it takes a little while longer for them to realise. But talking to say, Renus VK and um, and and Alex Palou, you know, they are just in awe of what they're seeing. Uh, in particular, Palou, because this is his first time. You know, Renus VK has seen it before. Did well in the in the Freedom 100 in Indy Lights. Oliver Askew, one of the other rookies, he won the Freedom 100. Right. So they have a little more appreciation for it. But Alex Pillow, you know, a year ago, he's racing in Japan. He's a million <laughs> miles away from Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, but you know, he he fully has embraced what it what it, it's about. He's racing with a special red, white, and blue stars and stripes helmet because he dreamed about racing in America. And I kind of you know as a as a uh, a native Aussie as a naturalized American, you know, I, I fully understand what that's like to look at America from afar and then now be, you know, in, in, in it for a long time and have appreciation of American traditions and customs and culture. And, and to see a young guy like that, who's so skillful, really embrace what the Indianapolis 500 represents at his first go is, is pretty cool. And, and I love, I think one of the best compliments for the Indy 500, by the way, uh, Lee Divvy's with us. Um, pre-race starts at one o'clock on Sunday and then race at what? 2.30 Eastern? Is that right? Uh, let me check. I'm with, I'm with my producer, Terry Lingner. Terry, let's see. Uh, we're on the air at one. And the race starts at 2.30 Eastern. You're right. Okay. Got it right. I want to make sure I get that right on NBC. And um, I, I was thinking about the, there's so many storylines and the race itself is so big that even Fernando Alonso making the race, which he did. It was a story, but it wasn't the story. And and no driver uh, is right. bigger than the Indy 500, and we learned that time and time again. And watching these guys, um, how they're going to lay it out there on Sunday, Alonzo, he's going to move up through the pack. It's Fernando Alonso. I'm pretty sure if you gave him a, a tricycle, he would pass somebody, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just in his nature. Yeah. He's So yeah. do you think Chevy, maybe not intentionally uh, to this extent, laid back a little bit and focused because they didn't have the whole month focus more on race trim than qualifying trim? Well, I wouldn't, I, I don't think any, I don't think any engine manufacturer is going to lay back and miss out on the opportunity to get a pole position at the Indy 500 or, or the front row. So I don't think they laid back. I just think uh, just the out, outright out, out qualifying speed, Honda were in better shape. Obviously, the, the, the results reflect that because only one Chevrolet in the Fast 9 shootout. But right from the beginning, I think they realised they had a better race car than a qualifying car. You know, and I, I asked James Hinchcliffe this yesterday, who made the Fast 9, and I said, you know, I don't, I'm not asking you to endorse Chevrolet because you're a Honda driver, but tell me of the Chevrolet drivers, you know, well, first of all, are they going to come back at you in the race? And, and which Chevrolet driver would you think? And he said they are going to come back at us in the race. And he said Simon Pagenaud is probably the best Chevy-powered car that I've been around on track throughout these, you know, the past week. So, you know, the Honda drivers are expecting they're not they're not expecting to run away with it. They know that they're going to have a a good fight on their hands. Do you expect to see Honda, Chevy, more team orders in the beginning of the race working together, manufacturers? They should. <laughs> yeah, well, they should. <laughs> they should. But I mean, they should. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think you know what. Jim, uh, I can't help but think about the you've got you've got just even in those first three rows, you know, in that fast shootout, you know, you know, the, we had 
you know, Indy 500 champions in Takuma Sato, Scott Dixon, Alexander Rossi, um, Ryan Hunter Ray, you know, more than half of the half of the fast nine shootout with champs. But then you've got two rookies in those first three rows. How are they going to handle it when they go flying in turn one, you know, at 230 plus on, the, on that opening lap or 220 into that first corner? How are they going to handle it? And what does that first lap look like? What does that first corner look like? I mean, that's, an, that's something they've never experienced, which the which experience does, you know, it doesn't make you numb to that. You just know what to expect. Um, and every single driver, as you've, you've interviewed a lot, but every single driver you talk to that has done the Indianapolis 500, they never, ever forget the first time they went barreling into turn one in an Indy 500. You know, some say it's the most exhilarating. Most say it's the most fearful thing they've ever done. Uh how are these how are these rookies going to handle that with, you know, the majority of the field behind them roaring upon on top of them? So were, were you nervous? Um, you the first time you called the five hundred? No, no, I loved it. That's something I'll never forget, ever, ever, ever forget. And I just remember that feeling coming to green. And you know, for I've been very fortunate in my career to work all around the world and call some of the biggest motorsport events and events. You know, I'm, I'm coming up to my fourth Olympics now next year in in Tokyo and done some really cool things but that was that was right at the top i love it and if this was if this was the formula one indy 500 uh let me see the mercedes would be 87 laps in front by the end of the race is that how it works <laughs> trying to do the math for 500 miles <laughs> it, seems, it, seems, it seems like that 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 trend's never not going away anytime soon, <laughs> no, it's so, really know, so. it's really not i've never seen a series of racing where a team just destroys everybody, and every time you think you got something on them, haha, the hot weather. They're like, yeah, whatever, bye, and then they're just gone. It's like dad playing basketball with his kids. Yeah, I know. I just, I'm, 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 I enjoyed. Uh, you know, I'm enjoying seeing Hamilton rack up. You know, career numbers that are just ridiculous. They're they're phenomenal. Uh, I enjoy seeing Verstappen win because he's just uh, he's he's a he's just a young beast. Um, I'm missing Ferrari's pace. Like what, you know, where where are they? What's happening? You know, um, and and you know when we did when myself and David Hobbs and Steve Match and Will Buxton we did F1 on NBC. You know, people would always say, "Oh, you guys are such Ferrari fans," and the next week they'd say, "Oh, you guys are such Mercedes fans." And you know, we're not fans of anybody we're not biased towards anybody but you do like that variety right i mean i've enjoyed this year seeing racing point towards the front you know perez on the podium and lance young lance stroll doing well and um so i think to me that's what makes indycar the ntt indycar series so good i got interviewed the other day um and somebody said how many how many people in this 33 car field could could legitimately win the race and i said two-thirds Two-thirds of the race could win it. I 100% it's agree. I've never seen a series and, and where, yeah, makes, you're right. That's what makes it so good because you go to the track every weekend in IndyCar and you legitimately don't know who's going to win. You don't. You know who might have, have a stronger chance than others based on history um, at that particular venue, but you don't know who's going to win, and that's what make, that's why we enjoy it so much because it's just that, that the, the variability, like the, 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 the diversity of winners and, and the unpredictability and – and this weekend too, like we're sitting here right now saying, well, Honda was unbelievable in qualifying. It may very well be a Chevrolet that wins the race. Yeah. One lap, oh, one lap extra on fuel mileage it can add up so quickly. And then you see this, this turn and you're absolutely right about it. Um, I heard them talking a lot about, and maybe I'm just reading into this, 
uh, mechanical downforce as well as obviously aero. So it feels like these Indy cars, like the way they were doing the weight jacket and stuff, it gives the drivers maybe a little more chance to adjust these cars, especially with the crosswinds during this race. So maybe that's another example of where experience comes in at the track. For sure, for sure. And that, you know, to 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 bring in all of the factors of everything uh, that you have to juggle, right? And, and you're juggling it over 200 miles an hour uh, for 500 miles. Um, all while, you know, imagine just doing that yourself. Right. And then you've got 30, 32 other cars out there and, and everyone's trying to get past you and you've got to defend or you're trying to get past somebody. And it's just, even the other day, seeing Scott Dixon, you know, he, he, he looked like a piano player on the steering wheel. Meanwhile, he was trying to be, you know, trying to get into turn one, trying to get into turn three. And he said, you know, I, I left it a bit late there in turn three and the car got away from me. And, you know, that's what I think, you know, I struggle. I fight myself uh, and with, with my teammates as well. We, we fight each other to do a better job and articulating for the people at home, they're doing this at over 200 miles an hour. And and you make a mistake for a split second and you're in the wall and it's over. And no power and, steering. And, uh, this isn't this isn't one-fingered F1 driving. This is you're you're having to wrestle that car around that track. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um that's why that's why it's the greatest spectacle in racing. You ready? You sound ready. You're ready, Lee, aren't you? Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I was pretty tired. I was pretty tired. We were all pretty tired uh, after um, after Sunday, you know, because it was there were, there were you know long practice days, and and you know when we do the, the the practice days on on NBC Sports Gold on the app, there's no commercial breaks where we can take a bathroom break or or have have a sandwich or something like they're long days. You know, there's, there's no you know you don't get a chance to get a breath much, and and you, you're pretty mentally tired at the end of those days. Um, but then you have a you have a qualifying weekend like we had. You know, Saturday was great with Dixon going out late in the day doing those runs that he was doing, and then you know, Marco improved in, in the hottest portion of the day, and then and then you have a fast nine like we had with twenty four mile an hour wind gusts and these guys just doing an incredible job. That um, you know the the mental fatigue or the tiredness you push that to one side because that just lifts you so high. I've got a great idea for a segment since you're there with the producer. Uh, we can get Paul Tracy to recreate Gordon John Cox's 1982 pit stop at 190 miles an hour. <laughs> hey, did you like did you like PT out in the turn two suites? I thought I it was great. Love that. I, he, he that dude, man, he's a party favor. There's there's certain people you just want to hang out with. You're one of them. Your whole team, all you guys, it's just a vibe like. You're the people I want talking about the Indy 500 because I want to talk Indy 500 with you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we like hanging out with each other, and we'd love to uh, hang out with you. Maybe Detroit next year. Damn right. We're going to get this done here. Um, Lee Diffie, I appreciate the time. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to go back. I watched the 82-8500, and a friend of mine and I were discussing that pit stop. We didn't understand. I asked Mario Andretti about it, and Andretti said they actually practiced braking at speed, so they would come down pit lane flat out and then hit the brakes and slide into their box going from, what, 180 <laughs> to, to nothing. And oh, when yeah. you watch John yeah, yeah, Cox, yeah. that pit stop, he is flat out when he comes blown by these people. Crazy days. Crazy I know. Crazy days. Which I think, like, who's crazier, the driver or the first guy over the wall? Probably the first guy over the wall. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> that's, that's the least popular guy in the pit crew. All right, Steve, it's your job to go first. Uh-uh, I'm not doing that, man. <laughs> so, All right, Lee Diffie, we'll be watching on Sunday with the Indy 500. You're the best. We'll talk soon, okay? 
Thanks, Jim. Thanks, right. and say hi to all your listeners. Bye-bye. You got it, buddy. Be well. There he goes, Lee Diffie. And we are done with the uh, Garage Cast. How about that? I know. I'm I'm fixated a little bit on that 82. Go watch 82, 8500. Highlights are on YouTube. Dude, Rick Mears and Gordon John Cock just getting after it. And those cars are badass. The STP car. Was it Norton? I think it was Norton. He had like this yellow trim around it. A yellow visor. Magical. Indy 500, man. Back home in Indiana. Nailed it. Anyway, you guys be good. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you to the Daves for the music here. Subscribe, B-Pod Studios. You can always follow along here. Hit me up on Twitter at WCSXGym. If you're ever in the Motor City, Give me a holler. I'm on the WCSX radio station up here in the Motor City. Okay. You know what? Next week we're going to talk um, Broncos, and we're also going to talk the Raptor Buster, the TRX. Have you seen this thing? 700 horsepower Ram truck. We'll be talking to some of the folks from FCA. Give you the inside scoop on this thing. 92 grand for a truck. You guys be good. <laughs>